Welcome, you're listening to Break the Cycles. My name is Yun. And it's your boy Sal. We're motorcycle enthusiasts, sharing with you our experiences on the road, stories of our motorcycle travels, and the lessons we've learned along the way. Welcome to Break the Cycle. My name is Yun, and I'm joined by my co-host Farida. And today we are having conversation with Steve Martin, and he is a writer, pastor, a moto adventure, and a filmmaker. And he also goes around telling people that he is a big deal. That's right. Steve, are you a wild and crazy guy? <laughs> Wait, what? What do you mean by that? I don't. I don't know what you what you're suggesting. That's that's a really strange thing to ask somebody. I don't get it. No, I'm a mild and lazy guy. That's my thing. I'm a mild and lazy guy. <laughs> so, so, so a little background. I actually uh, met Steve um, because he bought my Ducati before I left for my big trip. So that's that's how we met. And uh, when I came back, uh, he uh, took me out to dinner and then we chatted about my trip. So we became friends since then. I think we were friends when I bought the bike from you. So it's you know, true. It's true. Tracing it all the way back. You're an inspiration to me, and <laughs> we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, this is what I'm going to have to ask you, Steve. So, was that your first bike? Yeah, um, it was. It was a. F- <laughs> I could see the the look in in Yun's eyes as as I you know purchased this from him because he could see that I knew absolutely nothing. And I was about to get into really big trouble. I felt that that's what I felt. But yes, it was my first bike purchase. I remember telling him all the different modes and that there's like the, the, um, the urban mode, which is like, it doesn't have a lot of kick. I remember telling you like, start with the urban mode. So you don't get this like, like, because, because if you put it on the sport mode, like trying to get into first gear was just it, yeah, it, no, it that was the the reason I think that was a perfect uh first bike for me was because you could, you know, you could significantly scale back. I call urban mode on that bike actually uh stall mode because that's what <laughs> it's very very easy to stall it in in urban mode, but um but I felt like it was the perfect uh starter bike because it could grow with me and I I did. I I think I promised you that I was going to keep it in urban mode for like the first 3 months at least. And I'm pretty sure I did that. Um, awesome. It, I moved up very, very slowly. Um, I did not want to take any chances. Interesting. So that means your first bike, uh, you bought it a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, right? Yeah, just three. Yeah, three years ago. What got you into riding? Uh, my divorce. Um <laughs> No, it's something I always wanted to do. And, um, and it was not something I've got four kids and it was just not something I could do, um, with kids in the house. Uh, I just, I was, a I like to snow ski before I, uh, had kids when we had kids, forget it. It's just, there's certain risks that are not worth taking. Uh, that's the way I saw it. Uh, I knew that if I broke my knee or something, then, you know, I was, I was worthless to the family. So I just kind of played a very low risk lifestyle. And, uh, why are you laughing for you? Why? I don't understand. Okay, Steve, are you saying this on purpose or something? No, it's actually, that's a Freudian slip completely. (laughs) (laughs) See, I, um, uh, started writing in my late thirties and I have three kids. 
and I crashed and uh, dislocated my knee and kind of became useless. <laughs> yeah, you became <laughs> useless. Exactly. Up, Jan, I can say that. You can't say that. <laughs> but there's an advantage to it. The kids can help you. They were kind of transporting me, lifting me. So, hey, they, you know, but yeah. So tell me more. The kids so got anyway, older. Yeah, I just, I, I really, you know, I, my priority was on raising my kids. Uh, I divorced in 2015 and, uh, you know, and my kids uh, were, you know, I was an empty nester. Uh, they, they, they were off to college and everything. And it was just like, hey, I'm going to do some things that, um, that I want to do. And this is something I've always wanted to do. So uh, I did it. Yeah, awesome. that's it. I just did it. And Yun, uh, Yun is my enabler. Uh, he, he helped make it happen. <laughs> I remember bringing the bike to you. Um, I don't remember what the uh, where, where I rode it to, but I, I did. I remember bringing it to you, and uh, I, I was very worried. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and you had every right to be. Um, but just to tell that story, I I uh, I bought the bike. I was scheduled to do my safety course, and I was uh, quite clear to myself that I was not going to ride anything until um, until I finished my safety course. Because if I was going to drop a bike, it was not going to be mine. And um, and so uh, so, but I but I did uh, I I bought the I bought Yun's bike. And, uh, I was not licensed to, to ride it and nor did I want to, I didn't even want to try it at that point. So, um, he doesn't live too far from where I lived at the time. And I asked him to ride it down and park it in my garage, in my building. And that I would, you know, get an Uber for him to go back home. <laughs> and that's what we did. And, um, he parked it and it stayed there for two weeks without being moved. Um, and I would, I would come down, you know, at night I'd come down and, and just kind of stand there and put my hands on it and stroke it, you know, <laughs> and just like, Oh, this is going to be so great. And I had br I brought friends over to see it. And it's like, Oh, you know, this is going to be so, but I really, honest to gosh, I really did not step. I didn't get on it. I didn't ride it until I got my license till I finished my, um, my safety course. And, uh, and then it was, yeah, it was very, uh, very, very easy going, uh, for a long time. That's awesome. I'd love to hear that. Uh, but you took this to another level. You rode in India. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Um, and, and honestly, this is, I'm not, I mean, this is really true. I, Yun told me, you know, when I met him, he had three bikes in his, in his, uh, in his house, three, three bikes in his basement and, uh, was telling me about how he was going to ride all the way to South, you know, the Southern tip of South America. I was like, dude, that is amazing. Awesome. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, it, it, it quickly grew in my mind. I think Yun and I have a lot in common. I think that he might be an obsessive compulsive type like I am. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. That's, that's pretty accurate. And that's pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, he, yeah, it just, it, it's like planted this seed in my head. It's like, oh, wow, with like motorcycles, I can go places that I never, ever imagined going before. This is going to open up a whole new world to me. What's it going to be? So I looked in the, you know, I, I scanned websites and I looked at uh, rides in Iceland or Ireland or, you know, just all kinds of different places that I could uh, fly to, rent a bike and and do something. And, um, and I, I don't know how I came across it, but I, but I discovered this route, uh, that a lot of, uh, people on the, uh, in the Eastern hemisphere and especially in India take, which, um, 
is a, a route up into the Himalayas. And I, you know, I am, I never in my life would I ever set foot on any portion of the upper parts of Mount Everest. But I've read every book about Mount Everest. I've read every scene, you know, every movie about, I'm completely fascinated by all things uh, Himalayas. And I thought, wow, this is a chance that I could have to go to the Himalayas and, and see something that would be a bucket list kind of thing. And so I, I set my mind to do it. And boy, when I set my mind to do something, I'm going to do it. And I did it. It was great. What, what bike did you ride on that trip? I rented a, a, a Royal Enfield Himalayan or Himalayan, as they say. Well, they call it Himalayan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're the Himalayas over there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And is it a good bike? Yeah. And, and I, I actually bought one. See, this is how crazy I am. I bought one to prepare for the trip and to, you know, to learn how to do water crossings and do things like that. And I sold it recently and I'm really kind of regretting selling it because it's really cool. Oh. It's a cool bike. It's, it's not, it's not everything that I want. Um, but, uh, and that's, basically why I sold it. But, uh, but now I kind of miss it. So yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a Himalayan over there. Uh, it was carbureted. <clears throat> so that was interesting, uh, to mess around with or have messed around with while, uh, we were at high altitude and it was a great bike. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So did you go with people or, cause I, I saw that you organized trips and you had a trip organized that was, uh, delayed because of uh, the pandemic. Right. Yeah. So I've done, yeah, travel is a big deal to me. And especially I've done uh, political tours of Palestine, Israel. Um, I've done, uh, you know, kind of fact finding trips, various kinds of things. I've been to Jordan many times, but uh, uh, I'd never been to India and uh, it was all very intimidating to me because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just requires a few more steps with getting a visa and things like that. But um but I, uh, I, I, I found a tour operator. Um, I basically just researched everything that I could about every company that was doing it. Turns out all of the companies uh, doing those trips basically occupy the same little block in Delhi uh, as all the rest of them. So, so they all know each other. Um, and, and, you know, if you pick one, you're basically picking, you know, you, you could just as easily pick the other, but the reason I chose this one was because their communication was very good. I could, I could communicate with them via their website and, and it felt like I was going to not get ripped off. And also they didn't require a big down payment. It was an inexpensive trip to begin with. I mean, ridiculously inexpensive, but, uh, I, it was something mm -hmm. I could afford to, if I lost the money, I could, it wasn't going to kill me. So, um, so that's, and I, and I joined a tour, uh, there were about nine of us on the trip and, um, uh, two guys that I brought with me, a father and son, uh, the father's a friend of mine and, um, uh, and then the rest were Indian guys and, um, it was amazing. What kind of stuff did they have to uh, prepare for the high altitude? That was really, I mean, that was just something I wanted to experience. Um, again, with all the Himalayan lore, um, Basically, what we did was um, uh, I got a prescription for Diamox before I went. I went to the doctor and got all the shots, you know, that you need to get to go to India, 
did that, but I asked for Diamox and um, was given a prescription for Diamox. And then I found out that basically uh, anywhere in India, you can go to a, like a roadside pharmacy and pick up all the Diamox you want. It's not a prescription. For, for the listener that don't know, what, yeah. what, what's Diamox? It's just a, it's a, a, a medicine that, um, that allows you to, uh, it kind of prevents uh, altitude sickness. Um, um, and it, uh, it's not, you take it as, as long as you're going up, but then when you reach the highest altitude, you're going to, you can stop taking it and you know, you're fine going down, but it's something that's really good at, at, uh, helping you avoid, um, altitude sickness, but it's also, you know, hydration is important, very Mm -hmm. important. Um, and, um, and, and then we were also told, uh, to, uh, to eat chocolate while we were at, at, uh, the, the peak altitudes. So when oh, we really? go through a pass, yeah. Uh, take, you know, there's powdered glucose that we were, uh, chugging, you know, and, and, mm. um, and then chocolate, which I, you know, do not hate anything <laughs> that forces me to eat more chocolate. So that was a, that was a highlight. And the reason for the chocolate was, I think it's just because it has a lot of glucose in it. I think what you're trying to do is, is, uh, the glucose is the thing that, that helps you, um, uh, avoid the altitude sickness. Mm-hmm. What, what altitude were, were, were you at? The highest altitude, we, we started in Delhi, which is more or less sea level. And then we went, um, we, we just, we, uh, we, we rode for quite a few hours. And then um, our first overnight uh, after a really grueling first day, 17 hours of riding. Wow. Um, was, uh, was at Manali, which I think is around 8,000 uh, feet. And, um, and then we went from there to Rotang pass, which I think is over 10,000 feet. <clears throat> and we just kind of, we would go, we would go up and then we go down and spend the night, go up, come back down, spend the night, but would just keep going up. Um, and the highest altitude pass was, um, Cardung law, which is, um, there, I think there's several highest motorable passes in the world. Um, but this is one of them and it's, um, uh, eighteen thousand three hundred and eighty feet. Whoa, wow! I think the the highest I've been on is like fifteen thousand something. Wimp, uh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what eighteen thousand is going to do to me. Yeah, it, it was it was crazy, and we were you know we were cautioned to not spend much time up there. You know, come down. Uh, you know, go get a good look around, and then come back down. And and we did. We spent maybe a half an hour uh, at the highest altitude. But the the hard part was not the passes because you're just there for a few. You know, just a, a short time. It's it's when you're sleeping at altitude. That's when you really can start feeling it. What about the bikes? Did you have to adjust the tire, the air in the tires and stuff? Not to my knowledge. That was one of the benefits of going on a, a, a guided tour is that we had a, we had a chase vehicle with us all the time. Um, we had the tour operator was in the chase car, but a mechanic was too. Um, oh, wow. and, um, the, and Ershad, our, uh, um, our mechanic was just this madman. Every time we would stop, he, um, we're going, you know, toward a restaurant to, you know, get something to eat and we're doing our, you know, swagger, biker swagger, you know, walking and he jumps out of the car and he is looking over every single bike and he, you know, he's got a wrench out he's tightening a screw here, there he's pulling, you know, he's, he's, uh, working on chain tension and he's doing just all these little things while we're, 
you know, goofing off and resting. He's hard at work, uh, mm-hmm. making sure everybody's bike is in good shape. So, um, that was really, uh, I, yeah, I hear about people going and doing these kinds of adventures <clears throat> that, uh, and they do them alone <clears throat> and they don't really have, uh, you know, help along the way. <clears throat> referring, I'm kind of <laughs> thinking Oh, do we someone. know someone? Oh. <laughs> but, um, I, um, I just, this was a great way to do it for me. Um, I'm an old guy and I break easily and, uh, and having that kind of reassurance that, you know, if the, if the group gets separated, which we did every single day, um, several (laughs) times, there was always a chase vehicle behind us. And if you popped a tire or if you, you know, if you had any trouble, uh, I had, um, I think it was going through some of the water crossings. My air filter got, uh, clogged up. I think it just got got hit with some water and, and wasn't, uh, breathing very well, uh, a couple of times. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I just was headed up one road out of, uh, one of the towns we were in and, and, uh, hit this plateau and it was just going, it was just barely making it, you know? And I, uh, I stopped and, you know, pouted and it's like, this isn't working right. My bike is, you know, is really giving me a hard time. And Irshad jumps out of the car and he, he pulls the cover off and looks at the air filter and he just kind of looks at it and throws it on the ground and puts the cover back on <laughs> and off we went. And it was perfect from then on. Right? Oh, so you just ran without a filter? Yeah. In one of the <laughs> dustiest places on oh, the planet. Oh my goodness. I wouldn't, I don't know about those motors. <laughs> so yeah, they, uh, that, that, uh, that was, you know, my, the only mechanical uh, altitude related issue that, that I had was just uh, it, it did, you had to tweak the carburetor a little bit, you know, every time you went up. Um, and then uh, there was that one time where the air filter just got bogged down. And I think when we got to one of the cities, he did replace it. But uh, I, I say, I think, I know he did, but, <laughs> but that's, you know, we did, I did ride for at least one day with no air filter. Wow. Wow. Do you do any work on your bike, Steve? Um, I am not, uh, I mean, yeah, I do. And I don't, and especially that the Himalayan, you know, I kind of, I bought it. So I would have some experience with the bike and if, Mm -hmm. you know, so I could be better prepared. And the funny thing about that was that when I bought it, um, I rode it for about a month and then it started, uh, just the engine started shutting down and I'd be out running and it would, it would jerk and, you know, it, it would, it would just stop running. And, um, and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on with it and it drove me completely crazy. I thought I'd gotten water in the tank. I thought, you know, just all these different things, but the problem with it forced me to basically you know, break the bike down and learn all the systems and figure out exactly what does what. And, okay. and, um, uh, and I, you know, in that situation, I found I was just a loose, uh, spark plug wire. That's all it was. So, but it, uh, it, you know, in the meantime, I learned everything, uh, that was going on in that bike and, uh, the more complex bikes like, uh, uh, Yun's Ducati and now the, the Multistrada that I've got right now, I, I don't think I would, uh, try to dive into any of that stuff, um, too much, but the Himalayan was, um, it was a really simple, straightforward bike without any complicated systems. And, uh, and that was, a, I could, I could definitely, you know, at least figure out what was going on and, and possibly fix it. But again, we had a mechanic on the trip, so that was okay. Yeah. And I mean, I would say like the, the bike that I took, the DR, 
you know, with my trip too, it's super simple. You know, everything I can fix by myself with a bag of tools. Like I would, I would not dare to take something as technologically uh, advanced as like the Ducati. Mm. No way. My impression, uh, driving, riding out of um, Delhi uh, on those highways, that 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 Ducati would kill me in that kind of environment. It's you don't go fast in Delhi traffic, and it's you know it's like a lot of you can just imagine what the traffic is like there, and you just you don't want something that will allow you to rip through uh, crowded traffic, uh, that would be very, very bad. Well, uh, on your blog, you say you, uh, you kind of combine. And I think for me, as someone that's into spirituality and adventure, I think it really caught my attention. You said spirituality, adventure, art, and travel. So how do you, um, like, tell me what, what that means to you, these four, how do you, um, uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not a mystic, um, for one, I'm not, um, when I think of spirituality, I'm not really thinking about going off into a, you know, a nice, I've done it. I've, I've been to monasteries and done those mm-hmm. kinds of experiences, but, but I, um, I, I tend to follow a, a faith that says it's really people that, um, that show you what the divine really is. And so, um, being open to people has uh, enriched my life in ways that you know um, I just wouldn't. I, I I don't know how to. I I don't know how to explain it anything other than that. And mm-hmm. um, and travel is the key to that, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Rick Steves does a lot of good stuff around you know the spirituality and the and uh, of of travel and the need to to travel and to um, experience life as a traveler. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and that. That's really, that's really huge for me and, and not to get into politics or anything, but I'm going to kind of have to, cause I think this is relevant. Um, uh, I, you know, I'm a Southern white Christian, uh, who grew up, you know, believing that the Israelis were, you know, somehow the, the, um, uh, manifestation of the biblical, uh, Jews and, and that, that they were the chosen people and, you just didn't question that. And uh, I went to uh, Israel twice um, at the uh, end of the last century, gosh, you know, 20 years ago, and um, had a great time, great experience, uh, great, great experience. But I didn't do anything with, um, I, had, I, had a, I had a fear of Palestinians. I had, you know, I believed everything that was told to me about about Palestinians. And so I just didn't even really explore that. And then I was hired to, uh, to document a team of people who were going to spend a couple of weeks in Bethlehem. Um, uh, and they were, this was really kind of interesting. They were, uh, Pentecostal Christians, which is, you know, they're kind of a, normally a fairly conservative, uh, uh, Southern, uh, point of view, you know, and, uh, but, but the, but the trip was to take them to, uh, to Bethlehem, which is in the Palestinian territories and, uh, expose them to the, to the realities that are going on there and the people. And, um, uh, I, from the minute I set foot, I, I think when I landed, I was picked up by a Palestinian cab driver who, 
when he was driving me to Bethlehem, like pointing out everything that was going on and explaining it. And it was just like from from the word go, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got this all wrong. I've got this whole I've listened to my, you know, my tribe and uh, and and just kind of followed that blindly. And, you know, these these people are lovely. They're completely love. And, and, and I can walk in the streets of Bethlehem at night, you know, at midnight and and I feel safe. And there are women walking by themselves at night in Bethlehem at, at midnight. And they seem safe, you know, and comfortable. And just, it was a, it was a completely reorienting experience um, that quite frankly made me angry for a long time. I felt like I'd been duped. Um, I've really come around and come to, to peace with that whole thing now, but that is what, if if I'm going to get all, if I am going to get mystical, I think I'm going to say that's where God is. I think God is in 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 coming to terms with those realizations, coming to terms with the fact that people are people, and and that we all have something to 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 bring to the table. And and really, we don't need to be listening to our politicians as much as we do, uh, especially when they tell us who our friends are and who our friends aren't. Yeah, absolutely true. Right. So travel just to me is, is the best way to connect with that kind of spirituality. It's just the way to see the world in a different way. And I think in the United States, we have a, a little bit of a problem with uh, thinking it's somehow um, wrong to go outside the country to, you know, that we're being disloyal if we travel and we'll want to live in another country for a while or something like that. So I, I know that you took in some trip with your your new bike. So, how do you like the new bike, the your new Multistrada? Um, I love it. I mean, it's it's uh it's really it's kind of a grandpa bike in a way. It's um it it's it's got a lot of nice bells and whistles. It's got a pretty TFT screen on it. Um, it's powerful, but it's not too powerful. Um, I was, it's a 950. I was kind of afraid, you know, the guys that I ride with that have their, uh, their GSs, you know, 1250 GSs and stuff that I just felt like it was going to be too, too much bike for me. And, um, I, I like the size of it. Uh, it's a little heavy for me right now. I'm getting used to that. Um, and it feels like a kind of a nice piece of jewelry at this moment and that you don't want <laughs> to tangle with. So I'm very careful with it, but, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really, I think it's a lot easier to ride than the, than the, uh, Hyperstrata was it, it turns a lot easier. Um, and it, uh, the clutch is, is definitely, uh, much smoother and, um, uh, it's, it's a hydraulic clutch. Yeah. Yeah. Cause a hyper was a line clutch. Yeah. Cable clutch. Yeah. And it, it just, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a nice smooth ride. Um, and, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it like crazy, but I do miss the, the infield from time to time. I have to ask this question, but do do people get super excited that you're the pastor that rides a motorcycle? Um, not yet. Um, oh, really? I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing nonprofit work. Um, mostly now, uh, I haven't had a church since 2005. Okay. So, uh, that's not been part of my thing, but, um, but, uh, especially now just for the last three years, I've been doing, uh, 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 yeah, nonprofit work. I'm doing a, uh, startup right now around, uh, 
helping train church professionals how to deal with the online environment, uh, doing some conflict resolution stuff. Uh, I'm kind of I like to marry uh, the you know the tech with the uh, with the the conflict resolution stuff and the dialoguing. And, uh, I'm doing that and, and that, uh, you know, if you, you can probably see I'm wearing my, my Ducati t-shirt right now. And, and, uh, I guess that's, uh, as far I, I, you know, when I, when I have a work day and I have to turn my camera on, uh, and that's the extent of me going to the office, I might throw on an actual shirt instead of a Ducati t-shirt. So it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to come up very much. Um, but I've got some friends that it really, our rides turn into these really big, deep spiritual talks. Uh, and that's, that's always a big part of it. I'm, I, one of the things that I find interesting is, um, I, I think that male spirituality especially is, is, um, highly problematic. Um, and male relationships tend to be, uh, highly problematic. Um, and, um, you know, as a pastor, I lived in a, I, I, I would just say this is, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to get, you know, if you've got a, any listener base at all, I mean, you're going to get really harsh comments on this stuff, but uh, <laughs> to just get ready. But, um, but I think that, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, in church as a pastor, it's kind of a women's w- woman's world. It's, um, you know, uh, most of us clergy and churches are mama's boys, uh, basically. And, and it's a very kind of feminine way of relating to the world, which is fine. But, you know, also there's a part of it that where I think men have a harder time connecting uh, like that. So um, what I've decided is I think that men have to have that third thing um, that brings them together. So I found it, you know, when I was making documentaries, I like find a friend, my friends, Hey, you know, let's do this documentary together. And and that gave us a chance to travel. Mm -hmm. Um, that gave us a chance to research, to have these big conversations, yada, yada. But it was, it was around something else, right? It was, it was this Mm -hmm. other thing that gave us a reason to connect. And, um, and that's what I'm finding very interesting about motorcycling is that it's, uh, you know, it's for me, it's all men. I don't, I don't, there's no, uh, there's no women, uh, in my riding circle yet. Um, but, um, but it's, it's, a, you know, you, 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 you set out, you growing somewhere, you have this common interest and you've got the headset and the helmet and you're talking to people and, and it, it just becomes this safe way for guys to talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, uh, one of my, buddies that I ride with all the time, riding with him today, we, you know, it's, it's so fun. It, it, would, it would really be a hilarious documentary film to make because, you know, just to document the talk that goes on inside our helmets, it's like, we're talking about recipes mostly. <laughs> like cooking recipes? Yeah, we're sh- we're cooking, we're talking about, talking about, uh, we, we see, somehow always get like, stuck in a, in a conversation, uh, on, on the best, the way we cooked salmon this week. Um, and, uh, and, and we're always, you know, like, Oh, I mean, he was telling me today about his, uh, his pad thai recipe and, and how he's, how he makes pad thai. And I was like, Oh man. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's the funny thing. Now, would we sit down in a Starbucks and say, Hey, let's have a cup of coffee and talk recipes. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure, yeah. but on a bike. Yeah, Totally. 
Yeah, every everything is uh, everything is okay conversation and just between your intercom and the other person's intercom. I totally get what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we did start by asking you if you were a wild and crazy guy and we yeah. laughed about that. But I think just, you know, to bring everyone on the same page, do you want to tell us how growing up, uh, how you adopted the Steve Martin, the mild and lazy guy? And- yeah, it's, just, it's <laughs> funny because my, my mom... Um, my mom's last name was her maiden name was Boyd B O Y D and they wanted to name me Steve or Steven but they wanted to give me um uh her her maiden name is my middle name but they decided not to because I don't know if you know this but there was a Stephen Boyd that was an actor in Ben-Hur and he was famous at the time and um uh and they like nah let's not do that um, they named my older brother, Richard Martin, and it was a family name, but they called him Dick. That was something you could do back then. That was, that was all okay. Well, you know, you, you're too young to know this, but, but, um, Rowan and Martin's laugh in, which is a popular show in the late sixties, early seventies, Martin of Rowan and Martin was Dick Martin. Okay. <laughs> Nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers that, but he had the first, the, the famous name first. Interesting. And, um, and then, you know, and the, the, the tagline on that show was, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you. You don't know. I'm not even going to ask you what tagline was, <laughs> but, but it was say goodnight, Dick. So, you know, so like he, he grew up with everybody saying, you know, to him, say goodnight, Dick. And, and anyway, so there's that. And then, the fact that my mom and dad didn't want to name me after a, a famous person. <laughs> so they gave me a middle name that I absolutely despise. Um, and then when I was 13, uh, Steve Martin became, you know, this, this comedic rock star, uh, superstar. And, uh, and, and that was, that was really fun because I was a not terribly popular kid. And just overnight, I was popular. It was it was awesome, <laughs> and um and and I you know for six months I was just it, I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. But then it started to get old, and um the funny you know it it's it's really died down in the last I don't know fifteen twenty years at least. But it used to be that every time I'd go anyway, you walk into a Radio Shack, you know, if you're buying something Radio Shack, for some reason they had to take down your name and your phone number and all your contact information, no matter how many times you've been there before. Um, and and every time, you know, they'd say, okay, your name? I say, Steve Martin. They'll, they'd look up slowly and say as though they you were the first person in history <laughs> to make that uh, connection and they go, Hey, are you a wild and crazy guy? <laughs> so, you know, it's better to just embrace these things than, uh, than really be annoyed by it. So, and See? it's been pointed out to me many times, at least Steve Martin is a straight up guy. He's, he's respected. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, there's any number of names that I might have where it was not so easy to go along with. Right. So you decided to name your blog the mild and lazy guy? Yeah, yeah, that's one of several blogs that I have. The <laughs> most probably the most neglected blog that I have right now, but uh yeah, so I just I I I had to have the the domain name and I've kept it for years, uh mildandlazyguy.com, so, you know. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today and coming to talk to us. Uh thank you for having me on. <laughs>
um, thank you for having me on. This is uh, this is this is a good good stuff, and I wish you the very very best with your podcast and and uh, anything I can do to help you uh, continue it. Uh, I, I would love to do that. Um, I'd love to be a part of what you're doing. Well, thank you for thank you for you coming. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button and join us next time on Break the Cycles.